You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Double-Edged Devil Bill. This week we ask, what's up, cats? Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani and we have to stop meeting like this. And I am Adam Thomas, though you may know me by my jellical name, Mr. Podophiles, the podcast cat. I speak to a mic day and night. Uh, on the Thames? Is that where you do that? <laughs> Yeah, and I, like, really felt when I don't have my fur coat and fedora on. (laughs) I mean, now we're just mixing cats up. I don't care. Look, these are all very distinct characters who get their own songs. That is 100% accurate. They all do have their own songs. You will know their names. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) You have no choice. (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to the Devil Edge Devil Bill, where every week, uh, Adam and I cover a random uh, double feature based around a topic, uh, which is the end of every episode, so we'll be doing that at the end of this episode. Stay tuned for that. Uh, but this week, uh, we decided, based on our patrons at patreon.com slash gedbpod, uh, to vote uh, between uh, two topics to do, and they ended up picking musicians turned actors for us, which is one we've discussed uh, doing for a while, because uh, it's interesting seeing someone kind of move over from one persona-based career to another uh, from a, you know, sort of stage to screen in this particular way. Um, And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So it's perfect fodder for the show. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, after doing research and and looking up all the examples, or at least the majority of them, honestly, it's a very close to being a 50-50 shot of it working. Sometimes it may even work a little bit more than it doesn't. But when it doesn't, it really doesn't. Right. I mean, because sometimes it's a case of like someone maybe had a small band that didn't become famous before they end up becoming actors or sometimes actors take on pet projects to become musicians. So I think there's like a kind of desire for like one to almost be the other. I think particularly actor musician, because it's like I don't have to pretend I can actually play something, you know, I think that there's kind of like an entwined thing between the two professions. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. But then there are cases where you know, it's maybe musicians who are known more for being actors now or ones who weren't necessarily, at least in my eyes, like real huge musicians who became really good actors. Like I, the ones I'm thinking of really is like Dwight Yoakam, who I consider more of an actor now than a musician, which is crazy. But I mean, he's been popping up stuff since what, like Panic Room? He's been working pretty steady in acting. And same with like Tom Waits, since even as early back as like Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right, um, but, and then there are those who are like, oh, I didn't know they were a musician at all, and they sometimes insert themselves into soundtracks, like, say, one of the many people in one of our features, Anidris Alba. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah. and fucking, yeah, Ray Winstone. 
<laughs> well, I mean, we might as well just get into our two features, because at the end of the last episode, we picked our two features for this. Uh, we ended up with my good pick of What's Up, Doc? And then we ended up with your bad pick of Cats. Cats, now and forever. But especially now and later in this episode, we will talk about them. Um, but we'll start off first, though, with uh, What's Up, Doc? What is that? Don't ask! This is San Francisco, the city chosen by one of the most brilliant and sensitive new generation of filmmakers, Peter Bogdanovich, for his maiden comedy effort, What's Up, Doc? Where are we? I can't see! Well, there's not much to see, actually. We're inside a Chinese dragon. You must remember this. A kiss is still a kiss. In a rare glimpse of two artists at work, we are afforded an insight into how director Peter Bogdanovich, working with stars Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill, can manage to put these two performers together and create that almost indefinable thing, which is most simply described as a motion picture called What's Up, Doc? So What's Up Doc came out on March 10, 1972 uh, from director Peter Bogdanovich. This was his follow-up to Last Picture Show, which we covered earlier this year on the show. And uh, basically, if you're unaware of this movie, maybe like, say, Adam was, apparently, when we were doing the picking, and you're like, what the fuck is this movie? I don't know what this is. Um, Basically, it is um, this story about uh, this... A man who ends up uh, going to this conference where he's trying to get money for a music grant because he's studying the musical quality of igneous rocks. Howard Bannister, played by Ryan O'Neill, while he's there with his fiance uh, Eunice Burns, played by Madeline Kahn, he runs into this uh, manic pixie dream girl of sorts, uh, Judy, played by Barbara Streisand, who is the reason we're kind of doing this particular one. And uh, Barbara Streisand, uh, basically the entire movie is appropriate to the name, acting like a Bugs Bunny. Just invading this guy's life and doing all sorts of crazy things. And uh, he ends up, you know, maybe falling for her a bit, despite the fact that he's obviously with his fiance. And uh, I have seen this movie prior. I saw this actually via Filmstruck, which if you don't know, was an old streaming service that used to exist. That was basically kind of like the TCM section of HBO Max combined with Criterion Collection. Back when they tried to do that as its own service, and then they ultimately kind of split that up later, R.I.P. Filmstruck. Uh, this was one of many movies that I was vaguely aware of, but didn't see until, um, you know, that was available. And I really love this movie quite a bit. I think it's a really fun madcap comedy of sorts. But Adam, given you had no real expectation for it, uh, what do you think of What's Up, Doc? I thought it was really fucking kind of sweet had a lot of heart to it it's very cute and i i, I know it's, it might sound like a weird word to use for it i smiled the whole way through the movie like for sure it, there's definitely a lot of uh sort of madcap shenanigans that happen but at the core of it, it it's just really a sweet little movie sweet isn't really quite the word i would use for it um there's a specific reason we'll get to that maybe a bit later about the movie but i'm um, i'm curious adam what was your sort of like you mentioned on Letterboxd, I saw your review, you said that this is a movie I would never really seek out. Uh, what makes it kind of feel like that to you? 
Uh, Barbra Streisand. <laughs> okay. I'm just not, I'm not a Barbra Streisand fan. I never I, really I, have been. I have a theory to that, and I think it was the reason also why I avoided Barbra Streisand for a while. Was it the South Park Mega Streisand thing? No, I was definitely aware of her, like, way before that. It was just, it was probably more like early Saturday Night Live impressions of her or things like that. I just, I. I really don't know. Just sort of the schmaltziness, I think, of Barbara Streisand and some of the movies she did and, and her sort of almost Broadway style of performing. Um, it just it never clicked for me, like really ever. Uh, I'll be 100% honest. The first thing I saw her in and I was like, oh, she's actually really fun. Believe it or not, was fucking Meet the Fockers. Uh, yeah, I think that was probably my first exposure to her as well. The the Meet the Fockers thing. I think that's at least a bit more exemplary of like her being a solid comedian, which is something I never really realized until I went back to some of her older movies. Because I just knew her mostly as like sort of a singer, really. It's just the you know she would go for the full like the impressions you were talking about, like coffee talk, and so that's sort of like the cultural perception of her. And even like the Mecca Streisand thing, which was. You know, one of many things where you look back at South Park and it's like, oh, wow, this wasn't really that funny. It's more just kind of like a bit sexist and maybe slightly anti-Semitic in ways that you You're didn't really realize before. Yeah, maybe, you know, yeah. shocker, right. shocker that South Park might have done that. Um, but with like watching like this movie or like Funny Girl, which I watched recently, the movie that like won her Oscar um, or some of her other things, like she's just like so talented in a way, especially in this movie where you see that she her musician background kind of come to fruition, where it's like the comedic timing is musical. It feels like, oh, she's hitting every single note like perfectly in this movie with every comedic beat. It's like stellar. Oh, yeah, it's real sharp dialogue, man. It's it, Especially for, on her end. Well, actually, no, that's not true. I guess kind of really everybody. It, it's real snappy. Uh, but yeah, she's in there with the best of them and, and arguably the best of them. Um, she's really quick, man. And it, it was, it's such a weird performance. And I like the way you said it to not necessarily a weird performance, but it's such a different character. And I, I liked how you said sort of the, the pixie girl. And I literally have in my little limited notes that I wrote, like, this is probably one of the earliest examples of that really dreamlike pixie girl that, you know, would come to be really standard nowadays. Cause she's that in every way that from the way she's dressed to her hairstyle under the hacks, to sort of just the goofy nature of her, um, but ultimately just really alluring and because of her personality. Uh, yeah, it's it's a hell of a performance. Yeah, and I think she manages to, to do all that, like, in a way where sometimes when people try to imitate a cartoon in live action, it feels so insincere, as opposed to, like, this just feels like, oh, no, she just bore this character out, basically. And she does such a yeah. phenomenal job with it. I think particularly um, early on when she like, immediately sees Ryan O'Neill. And it's just like, oh, I want to fuck that guy. <laughs> and she just immediately is going for him in such a comedic, great fashion with, like, literally having the carrot that she's eating. Or even when she is, like, do, they're both doing the thing where he's going up the down escalator and she's going down the up escalator. <laughs> and they're, like, meeting at the same exact point. Just, like, such perfect comedic timing that also instantaneously shows, up, like, oh, she is willing to, like, do anything just to hang around this guy. Who she just finds as, like, an interesting target to both make fun of, but also maybe have more of a relationship with. I just love that dynamic that immediately establishes, like, she's not just a Manic Pixie Dream Girl who's out there to make him feel better. She's also like, I want that, though. And she's going for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, she, she's all about getting what, what she wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, 100%. Uh, whether he wants to or not, <laughs> she's, she's definitely determined. 
you know, the whole way through. I mean, she's basically a con artist in the movie with the, with the way she cons everybody and everything, but she's so capable and so intelligent at the same time. That's what I really liked about the character. Like she's just as smart as all the, you know, the doctors and the musicians and all that. And in fact, she knows more about a lot of the shit that, than they do. It, it, it was really a really tight, tightly written character. I, I was kind of surprised by it, to be honest, because when you first see her, I, I did just expect like, he's going to find himself through her sort of wackiness, which in a way is the case, but she's also, you know, a fully fleshed out character. She's not just the tool for him to, you know, sort of discover himself or whatever. Right. And even he tries to just kind of take advantage of it after a certain point, because she's so much more immediately impressive to everybody than a Eunice is, which we should mention, like this is uh, introducing Madeline Kahn at the very opening credits. <laughs> they establish that. And um, I think that's the part where I would necessarily disagree that it's a sweet movie. Because if I have any kind of issue around this movie, it's not Madeline Kahn specifically, but her character, I find they make the punching bag in a way that gets a bit cruel. I think especially there's a line later on where everyone's in front of a judge talking about like, oh, um, this happened to me, this happened to me. And she's like, to quote her, she says, uh, and they tried to molest me. And the judge is like, that's unbelievable. And stuff like that, yeah, which, I, uh, which I think there's an I, additional layer to that because of what we talked about uh, last picture show. I mentioned Polly Platt, who was like a production designer and was with Peter Bogdanovich at the time of that movie. And then infamously, after that movie came out, he started an affair with Sybil Shepherd, and that became like huge news. But Polly Platt was still like attached to this movie and Paper Moon, the movie he did afterward. So it does kind of feel like a movie about a guy trying to justify basically like leaving his wife uh yeah i mean I, that that's very true i never for some reason i never really thought of it that way because i didn't really think about the uh bogdanovich sort of backstory to it but that that does make a lot of sense and i do agree i think the handling of the Eunice character well funny to start but it did just drag on and get uh, needlessly cool I, I do agree with that for sure yeah, though Madeline Kahn still, like, despite it being, like, also her first movie, oh. man, just, like, obviously have so much charm <laughs> that she naturally she's, just has. Yeah, Madeline Kahn, she was, she's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, she's, she's fantastic. I, I do want to ask you a question, though, because uh, this is almost like a slapsticky type movie, too. Yes. There's a lot of slapstick. What was your favorite gag in the movie? Um, I think it might be, there's a bit later on where they do, her and Ryan O'Neill do, um, like he plays on the piano as she's doing as time goes by from Casablanca and they fall over and he's just like, she, she asks, what are you thinking of? Oh, the future. And she looks up where he's looking. It's just like, what, what's wrong with it? <laughs> I think it's such <laughs> like a funny bit. Like it's a lot of stuff where like either hit her or Ryan O'Neill almost like looks at the camera. Like Ryan O'Neill also has a great shot where he's in the middle of like the dinner party scene where he, she's pretending to be Eunice and he looks at the camera and says, I'm living a nightmare. <laughs> mm -hmm. For some reason, it just made me laugh so hard when uh, it's like the, I forgive me, I don't really know the character's name, but the sort of shorter, fatter, bald guy who's going after the bags or the gems or whatever. Yeah. And uh, Fritz tells him, you know, follow her, but, you know, handle it with finesse and, you know, just keep her detained. 
and it shows him run up and trip her, the old lady. Oh, <laughs> yes. Finesse. He literally just trips her and then starts dragging her. Like, just well, right, especially reason, when, like, the, they cut away from that for a bit, and then later on, he, like, they have the elevator open, and he's doing it, he's been, like, to the, through the elevator, basically, with that woman. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I just found that really, really funny. Or, or even earlier um, when that dude, when he has, like, all the golf clubs, and he's just, like, following around, he's like, oh, this is too heavy, and just keeps dumping golf clubs on the street. Yeah, throwing them in the garbage everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, you know, it was, it's a super fun movie, dude. It's, I love the, the car chase. It was really good with the, uh, you know, the gla- old glass panel trick. And, and regardless of, like, the comedic element, it is, like, a genuinely thrilling chase. Like, a lot oh, of great car so- stunts during that whole climax. Oh, absolutely. It's incredibly well done. Uh, but And that's, the, you know, the sort of the beauty of this whole movie. It's, yeah, it's silly, and it's sort of Looney Tunes cartoon in bits where, you know, especially, like, her at the banquet, when she's, you know, selling him and all these stories, it instantly took me back to, like, when Daffy or uh, Bugs are trying to, like, charm somebody. And especially Daffy Duck, where he's just awful. <laughs> he's so loud. <laughs> but um, it's, it's such a tightly uh, constructed movie where it's taken really seriously. And I think that's what pays off. Uh, and I'm not saying the movie takes itself too seriously, but you could tell they really were serious about getting what they wanted on screen and really sort of patient with the comedic bits and the timing of it all. Like, it, it's really, really tightly done. Or, I mean, even I also love, um, shout out to Platt, um, who we mentioned earlier, the, the way even the movie looks like on a production design and costume design level, where, like, everyone has, like, the perfect look and the perfect attire, the, the way that, like, that, say, that one big ballroom is dressed where everybody has like the big uh conference for the grant and everything it looks perfectly yeah. like kind of shitty for like this hotel where like yeah. the outside's opulent but they didn't spend any money really on the look of that yeah, fucking like no. shitty looking place i i love so many of those things and it just sort of shows that like when bogdanovich kind of separated from her after like they stopped even the creative collaborations his movies noticeably went down a lot more and i think it's because platt helps like build a lot of that stuff that bogdanovich is a good director but he's nothing without some of the people on the crew who do a great job. And Platt's also so interesting. I would recommend anybody listen to the You Must Remember This, Peter Bogdanovich, Polly Platt, like, miniseries. It's so fascinating because of how many, like, how crucial she sort of is to a lot of pop culture. Like, just to firmly establish to you, Adam, she was working with James L. Brooks in the 80s. And there was a certain point where she's like, hey, James, you're trying to get cartoons to that Tracy Ullman show. I read this comic strip called Life in Hell. We should get this Matt Groening guy. The Simpsons wouldn't be a thing without fucking Polly Platt. That's pretty wild, dude. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, you know, the thing is, now this is the second Bogdanovich movie we talked about. I mean, obviously, I the last picture show was, you know, it was a masterpiece. But this is, this is a really fucking good movie. And the thing is, I don't think I've seen much of his stuff. It's a name that I'm fully aware of. I mean, it is, he is a sort of, you know, considered one of the classical greats. It's just, I gotta seek out more of his stuff, man, because I've thoroughly enjoyed both of them still. And they're so different in style. That's what makes me sort of really curious about the rest of his filmography, because Last Picture Show is a drama. And this is a fucking slapstick comedy movie. They're both expertly done. Yeah, and it's a great time, especially there's a lot of great directorial flourishes that do pop up in here, like that we mentioned all the stuff in the car chase later, but even just the comedic timing of the stuff with the bags. Because the, yes. the the big premise is that like everybody kind of gets mismatched with the same exact plaid 
bag that everybody has, his handbag. And I love the, how, like, he shows off, like, oh, here's the bag going from this way and that way. And also, how some, all of that is presented without any, like, underscore. There's no underscore at all in this movie. But you're so enthralled, you don't even give a shit. You don't even notice there's no music that's going on. Especially in a movie about musicians starring a musician. Yes. And they don't sort of bog you down with, the, like you said, an underscore. And, you know, the, the four-bag thing is, is such a funny idea to me. Where one's got this this dumbass, this stupid rocks that he thinks he can make music out of. Other is this bag full of these precious gems and jewelry and all that. Other is top secret government files. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the other one is just underwear. <laughs> Women's underwear. <laughs> like, it's so fucking funny to me. All this top secret underwear later on when he's like putting out the bag in front of the judge. Yep, and hats off to the uh the guy who was the government agent being the mayor from Batman Returns. Yes, that's that's exactly really? I was I, I noticed that guy again when I watched this, and I'm like, hmm, who is this? Like, oh shit, of course it's that guy. The guy <laughs> whose baby gets stolen and recaptured by the penguin. <laughs> and he's also Archangel's dad in X-Men 3. That guy's got a but it's a weird shit. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, and that's the thing. There's a lot of like blink and you miss it guys in this. It's like uh the one who plays the arresting officer. Oh, it was M.M. Uh, Walsh, yes, at the end. R- really weird considering he looks like a young person and it's terrifying because, like, no. M.M. Walsh, you were never a young person. Long stop with this. He's <laughs> got the same voice as a young man, though. Like, that dude's voice did not change. Uh, but, but speaking of young, also Randy Quaid showing up in the middle of all that. I know. I know. And that's another good bit, too. When he's like, I need to talk to you privately. She's like, meet me under the table. Oops, I dropped my napkin. And they both go to the table. And then one by one, everyone else from the table starts going under to talk to them. So it's all like eight of these fucking people under the table. Yeah, and then the guy from the producers and, you know, Young Frankenstein, also with Madeline Kahn. He's right, so uh, Kenneth Mars, yeah, who's phenomenal, of course. Yeah, also, yeah. also, voice of King Triton from Little Mermaid. I did not know that. And the that grandpa from Land Before Time as well. Jesus. Yeah, but he's like the first example of emo hair flip. It's oh, like this is so well. Especially when he sees Ryan O'Neal like with the bag, he's like, hmm, and then flips it over and goes back into his room. <laughs> and, and especially how high and mighty is just like, oh, well, Robert Streisand, you would not know this very intellectual thing that I have been uh, purporting out. And then he gets caught later by Barbara Streisand. Yeah, he's caught as a con man. Yeah, super good, super funny. And then also, the guy who plays the one giving out the grants. Oh, Austin Pendleton is so fucking funny. I yes, who who was also uh, Max from the Muppet movie, the the sympathetic lackey of Charles Durgan. Yeah, the the performance I know him most from is My Cousin Vinny, where he's like their first lawyer, and he he just stammers through everything he can ask a question. But but I love in this movie how he's clearly a like a young man who has too much money. And he just oh, doesn't quite know where to spend it. And I just love the moment he meets Barbara Strait. just like, you're a very lucky man. She's wonderful. <laughs> He's totally yep. got goo-goo eyes over here. And then he gets ends up with Eunice. Yes. Because yep. it, it's a better relationship because it's just like, oh, he, she can like keep you in check because you seem just very unwielding with your money. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. His house had like fiberglass see-through columns in it. Oh god, that what whole scene at the house too, especially like when with when the gun pops up and how things just fall over, especially Madeline Kahn with the gun and she's like screaming yeah. as she's shooting. It's the perfect like madcaps. And that's the thing I like about this movie a lot is the big inspiration for this was like bringing a baby. 
from the 40s, and it feels like it's that kind of energy of a screwball comedy from that era transposed to the 70s, but in a way that still feels like, oh, it, it doesn't feel old at all. It feels almost fresh because of the atmosphere that's all around. The only thing that dates it is the uh, wardrobe, really, and the hairstyles. But other than that, this movie could really, like, it's, like I said, it's so funny and so sharp and so smartly written. Like, you could still make this movie. Like, you really could. Obviously, it'd have to be different casts and stuff. But it works because it's just so off-the-wall crazy that it's timeless. Now, I'm curious. There's one person in the cast who we haven't talked a lot about, um, because, even though, despite the fact he's technically kind of the lead character of the movie, uh, Ryan O'Neill. How'd you feel about him? I don't think he was up to the level of everyone else in it, to be honest. He remind, I'm trying to think of like wh- who else he reminded me of, but it's just it wasn't a super solid performance for me. It almost felt like the entire movie he was on sort of medication in a way where there wasn't a lot as far as even like um, facial inflections or even a lot of vocal inflections that really he put through. Like I get he's supposed to be like this sort of nerdy pent-up guy but it, it just i don't think he was on the level of everyone else well i mean he is the straight man of the movie i think that's kind of the point is that he's kind yeah, of like he's I, like a bit more straight laced and doesn't have the exact same wild madcap energy if you had had him also be like on the level of a streisand i don't think this movie would work nearly as well no 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 no. i'm not i'm not i, I agree with you uh it's just i could have gone for uh, maybe a little bit more like charles groden type performance from like even like Midnight Run or something would have worked a little bit more for me because he's still very serious in that movie. He's just, you know, I don't know. Well, yeah, no, I, no, that's actually no. He's not like the whole point is that Robert De Niro is a straight man in that movie, and that Charles Grodin's actually playing off of him like a fiddle. He's more of like the Barbara Streisand character in Midnight Run. I don't, I don't like when you try to prove me wrong on things. Oh, <laughs> it's so hard for me to do. It's so hard. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so you're my Ryan O'Neill. I'm just completely playing off you like a fiddle. He was a terrible. It just didn't, it didn't work for me. I know he was the straight man, but just everyone else around him is just bringing so much more. And I, I'm saying you could still play a straight man, but bring energy to it. And I don't think he did. I, I really disagree. I think he adds a lot of energy, especially like moments I mentioned where like he is exasperated. That's where the energy really comes from is when he's just like going trying to have, like, a, an, a boring, normal life, and Barbara Streisand br- budges in, and he's just like, I can't, I can't handle this! I don't know what's happening! And everyone's just, like, constantly in this mode where she's like, oh, she's great, she's so great, she's like, but, she's, she's, she's messing everything up for me, I don't know what's happening! Like, I, I love that kind of energy that he has, and especially with the fact that, obviously, Ryan O'Neill was, like, a famous, sort of, uh, like, handsome actor of that time. Like, this is not too long after Love Story, which... I fucking love how he completely skewers love story at the very end of this. <laughs> Strice just saying, like, the uh, love means never having to say you're sorry. It's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard someone say. <laughs> it's such a perfect bit. But also, like, I like the fact that he is, like, this, you know, nerdy, nebbish dude. But he, like I said, he looks like a playboy. So the whole time it almost feels like, oh, you have, like, all this potential as a person. But you're, like, so crushed down by admitting, like, you know, like I said, the movie is making Eunice out to be kind of the bad guy. But just like, oh, she's holding you back as a person. But at the same time, he also doesn't have the self-confidence to be his own person. So I just love the fact that, like, especially when his shirt comes off, and he has, like, he's so buff and masculine, but he's just like, oh, I'm so exasperated. Uh, he's got that plaid tie on. 
<laughs> that's it. I, I just find I find him very charming, especially there's a one really fun comedic beat he does when the room gets destroyed. And initially he tries to like put the like champagne on it, and then it just keeps going on fire, and he's like starts walking out the room like fuck it, and he throws the fucking bottle away. I think he's very funny in this. Well, I am glad for you. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of fun with him. I'm glad. I, I, I'm super glad. Because I honestly would say, I don't think, like, aside from the jokes I mentioned with Eunice, especially toward the end, I don't think there's many other misses. This is one of those rare comedies where I'm just like, this is like a 99%er with the jokes for me, honestly. Just every single second, there's some, like, sight gag or clever piece of dialogue or, like, even just a background gag that I find funny or facial expression. I just find this to be, like, such a consistently hilarious movie. I'm going to put it like I wasn't like in stitches over this movie. I found it very funny and I found it incredibly charming, like I said. But it's also because it's my first time watching it and, I, and I'm trying to pay attention a little bit more to everything I'm seeing because I knew we were going to talk about it. So I was maybe not allowing myself to get there, but I, I don't know. I, I Like I said, it's funny. The movie's funny. It's got personality. This wasn't a laugh out loud movie for me most of the time. There are some gags that made me laugh. But like I said, I smiled the whole way through. I had a good time with all of them. Well, I guess before we go into like final thoughts with it, I, I want to ask specifically about with Streisand. We mentioned that she kind of has like almost a musical tinge to the way that she performs. What do you think separates her from a lot of other like musicians turned actors in terms of her capabilities? Because this is like she'd already won an Oscar for her first movie, yeah. which is also insane. Um, but after this, she would go on to like direct several movies and like act in at least another like 15 or so movies, but over the span of like now 50 years, she's a bit more selective. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's like kind of part of her success is that she kind of picks projects like that? Or what do you think makes her work maybe in this that sometimes other people can't really make that transition with? Well, I think for her, it feels very natural. You think of Barbara Streisand, at least when I do, and you think of like the way she, you know, if you've seen old performances of hers in concert or things and the way she sort of interacts in a way with the audience, it's where she's talking to everybody and she'll do little bits and, and sing and stuff, not maybe to the level of like a Bette Midler, but close. I think there's nothing about Barbara Streisand that tells me that she wouldn't excel in sort of being an actress or putting herself out there or taking the piss out of herself. Uh, I, like I said, I think she's just naturally a performer. She's naturally an entertainer. I like, I think she just has it. it, you know, you have got it, kid. She's got moxie. Um, and plus, yeah, of course, being a little bit more selective with the things she does, uh, really helps too. She picks the roles that she believes are right for her. And I, I I'm guessing, you know, like I said, I'm not completely hugely familiar with her filmography, but from what I understand, you know, probably eight times out of 10, she picked the right roles. Not everything's, you know, for every, you got what's up doc and, and things like that. But then, you know, you also got the guilt trip. So it's like, she just, like I said, she seems like a natural born talent, like just an entertainer. You could tell she likes to entertain. She's, she's from ilk from that era where you weren't just a singer, you're a musician, you were a fucking entertainer. I think it also helps that apparently she became a singer because it could be like a gateway to her to become an actress because she like signed up with like to sing and then eventually got her onto Broadway where she was in that funny girl show when it was on Broadway because uh -huh. she was in the movie adaptation. So she became like an e gotter by like 1978 or something like that. It's, it's, it's interesting because I think I agree. She has that kind of energy, but also she makes it feel so natural 
in a way that's so bizarre because it's like no one should be this natural at doing stuff like when she is asked about like uh do you know the definition of dignity or something like that and she just lists it off like yeah so naturally off the top of her head like the editing obviously helps with that but streisand's delivery makes it feel just like oh no she immediately came up with that response that's something that could only come from someone like you mentioned who is like from the older school of being an entertainer where it's like I, i'm a triple threat yeah like she, she's from the school you know of like the liza minnelli's and the debbie reynolds and even bet midler's and things like that where they you give it all 100 percent, 100 percent of the time Right. So naturally, that's why she kind of has like a diva personality that could immediately turn some people off, but at the same time makes her just so one of a kind. Like, of course, Barbara Streisand would be so successful and so popular that like she couldn't be around people. So she builds a mall in her basement. Like you're aware right. of that story, right? <laughs> that's oh, the, yeah. that yeah, insanity yeah. <laughs> that she has a fucking ball in her yeah. basement that's staffed by people. <laughs> well, and she's also Thanos' stepmom. So. Well, that's true. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Look, there, there's a reason James Rowland does not have to act that much. We'll <laughs> 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 uh, just hang out at the fucking basement Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, staffed by some random teenagers just like, yep, I just yeah. spend all my time down here waiting for Barbara to come down. <laughs> I got a coffee for James Baloney. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Adam, we have another movie. To talk about mm. boy will we talk about it so call it that. yeah quick final thoughts on what's up Doc? super charming movie man really fun uh like i said heart all over it loved seeing the cameos especially from all the people from the mel brooks movies like we didn't even mention the judge who also is in young frankenstein it's really really a fun movie to watch like i was thoroughly you know sort of apprehensive when you told me who was in it and what it was about, but I'm glad I went into it just fresh and not sort of letting my apprehensions affect my viewing. I just went into it like, all right, let's just see what this is. Fuck it. If it sucks, it sucks. Oh, well. And I, I, I came out really liking it. Yeah. Um, this is one, like I said, that I kind of came upon because I'd heard some things about it, but just never watched it. And I think it's so effortlessly charming in a way that, you know, despite some of the issues I had with, say, how the Madeline Kahn character was treated, it still has, like, such an effervescent just ability to charm for most of the time for me, where, like like I said, I think the laughs are very consistent. I think the production design looks great. There's a lot of great just, like, comedic filmmaking. I've said this before. Comedy filmmaking in general has gone down so recently where we're just like, oh, let's, like, have a stationary shot and have people riff. For a while in the Jed Apatow style, this is like an actual movie that treats the comedy in the same cinematic fashion that it would treat like it's, you know, big uh, chase scene that happens later on. It's such a weird lost art to make like cinematic comedy that very few directors are still able to do at this point that Peter Bogdanovich was able to do here, but also had a solid amount of people like we haven't even mentioned. This movie is written in part by Buck Henry, who's one of the great comedic minds of this era. Um, along with David Newman, who also would write the Superman movies uh, later on as well. Like, there's, it's such a weird, like, collaboration of so many great people at this particular time. Um, but, yeah, at the same time, I, I still think, like, it's it's very consistently good, especially considering it was also not a movie that was, like, put together in a large amount of time. Like, Peter Bogdanovich kind of half-larkingly pitched this to the head of Warner Brothers, who was like, hey, Barbara Streisand wants to work with you after Last Picture Show. What do you want to do with her? Oh, like a screwball comedy. It's like, you need to write it in, like, three months before it starts filming, because Streisand had, like, a tour going on and stuff like that. So it has that scrappy energy, 
but it makes it look effortless. It's it's such a charming little movie. I'd recommend to anybody, especially if you weren't as inclined to see it, and you're like, oh, it's like a nearly fifty year old movie. Why do I want to see that? Uh, it still has a lot of charm. It still is uh, kind of timeless. Yeah, and you know that's one thing. You know, eh, if it's a black and white movie, it might turn you off, or eh, it's a fifty year old movie, it might turn you off. You know, I think that's one of the biggest disservices uh, a movie fan can do for themselves. You gotta go back to the classics, especially if you're a movie fan, and sort of see where your, some of your favorites were maybe even birthed from. Um, just don't limit yourself or your art intake. Just just watch it. If it's a classic, you heard it's good, but uh, just just go for it. Just watch it. Right. Which is shout out to HBO Max, who has like a very good classic section in ah, general. HBO Max is crushing it, especially now that they fucking updated the app to where it doesn't crash or freeze every five seconds. I don't know. Wait until the next big show comes up. And like, because I was That's trying to true. watch this at some point when like Succession's finale was airing. Nope. Wouldn't allow that to happen because everyone's watching <laughs> HBO Max. Yeah. But, but before we get into our next feature, here's a promo for an ESO show you can queue up right after ours. How did watchdog groups with no experience in television take a controlling interest on Saturday morning television? When did Wonder Woman make her animated debut? Want to know why there were two competing Ghostbuster shows? How Atari changed the Saturday morning landscape. How did networks compete over similar genres at the same time? Find out all of this and more on the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. A proud member of the ESO Network. Well, and you know, Adam, funny thing, Barbara Streisand once covered a song that was very popular from a Broadway show and actually helped make that show a huge success when it came out in the early 80s. Memories, no, nothing, no, whatever the fuck. Oh, it's like Barbara's here, right here. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. and that was, of course, from a show that later was adapted into a film called Cats. Tonight is a magical night where I choose the cat that deserves a new life. Going to the ball could get dangerous. <laughs> Come on! Let's dance! I judge a cat by its soul. I've got plenty of soul. Spotlight! And a drum roll, please. Milk! It's party time! The most deserving cat will be reborn into another life. So they can be who they've always dreamed of being. What's your name? Cat got your tongue. I love it. So Cats came out December 20th, 2019. Happy two-year anniversary to everybody. I just, oh, I want, you know, it, it's such an important thing. Um, and you probably know what Cats is um, based on how kind of infamous this movie was when it came out about two years ago. Uh, but in case you're unaware, uh, this is, as I mentioned, adapted from the stage musical uh, from Andrew Lloyd Webber, which was also based on poems by T.S. Eliot. Uh, there's like a book called like a Practical Poems for Practical Cats or whatever. A lot of this is literally just those poems translated to song. And uh, Cats is a very popular show in terms of it's one of the longest running shows of all time, both in Broadway and the West End, to the point where um, it's the fourth longest running Broadway show, only beaten by Weber's own Phantom of the Opera, 
1996 revival of Chicago and the Lion King, um, all of which are still running. Uh, so it's a, it was very popular when it came out to the point where like, I was aware of cats as like a cultural thing well before this movie, because mostly of people making fun of it. Like there's a great Simpsons gag where Barton Milhouse go to a production of cats and Milhouse like shoots, um, like a spitball and you hear like a cat sound or stuff like that. Like you were also, I'm sure aware of cats existence. Yo, yeah, definitely man. For, yeah. Forever now and forever. Yeah. Yeah. To say the least. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I definitely, yeah, I was fully aware of it. Like you said, I remember the Simpsons gag. I also remember on The Office where Ed Helms dressed up as one of them for Halloween. Cats has been around and permeated through pop culture since as, literally as long as I can remember. My, my favorite example of this, honestly, is a more recent one from uh, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, where the Titus character has a whole thing where he's trying to get a job on Broadway and he thinks of auditioning for Cats. And the twist is that um, Greg Kinnear is like the main cat who's, like, telling everybody about, like, oh, this is this cat, this cat. And Titus goes backstage, like, oh, I would love to be a part of the show. How can I audition? He's like, you don't audition for Cats. All of us were lost from other theater productions and ended up in <laughs> Cats. And we just make up this shit nightly. <laughs> That's, uh, well, that, that tracks. That kind of fits, movie. doesn't it? Yes, yes. But yeah. th- there was this film version that came out in 2019, that was rather infamous because uh, it's from Tom Hooper, who directed and co-wrote it, who had previously been known for doing costume dramas like uh, The King's Speech and also Les Mis, uh, to speak to the musically inclined element of it. And uh, he decided to make a star-studded production of Cats, which had been in production to some degree for several years, like there was going to be an Amblin animated film that was almost made before the animation arm of that studio shut down. And there were there's some attempt to make that movie for several years until this version finally came out, which was infamous for having not just this large star-studded cast, but also the decision to, in the stage musical, these people dress up like cats, usually in like leotards and elaborate makeups and, you know, stuff like that. That it's perfectly works for the stage because it's just like, sure, whatever, I can suspend my disbelief to like there's an actual person in front of me, but it's a cat. Sure, I can suspend my disbelief for that. And Tom Hooper decided, like, you know what? We can't do that. So how about we make them CGI monstrosities? <laughs> and right from when this trailer premiered at Comic-Con, I remember we talked about it on the show when that happened, because it was just inescapable. It was like, what the fuck is this? It was so poorly rendered to the point where, like, there's so much back and forth about this movie where, like, oh, the effects took so long. They finished it, like, the morning of the premiere, and everyone went to cat school and all this other stuff. But Adam, we watched this movie together because yes. I told you straight up, like, if we're going to do cats, we're going to watch it together to the point where it was right after we recorded our last episode. <laughs> we were just like, fuck it. We're watching cats. And I can't emphasize to you all in the audience how much I loved the experience of watching cats through Adam's eyes because it yeah. was this mixture of shock and laughter, and depression, and terror, and so many emotions. Adam, does that accurately yeah. describe your reaction to cats? Uh, yeah, pretty pretty much 100%. Um, you also had to add bourbon in the mix just so I could get through the fucking thing. Yep. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, I, I've never seen anything like it. I, I can say that. that. That is a true statement. Um, there is not another movie like this that exists. 
Um, the whole time I was kind of hoping and wishing it was secretly a crossover and that all of a sudden the fucking Phantom would drop the chandelier on them all when they're <laughs> in the fucking dive, <laughs> in the dance hall or wherever the fuck where the ones tap dancing in red overalls. Um, yeah, this movie fucking is insane. Like, it's it's literally just insane. There is barely a story here. The whole movie is basically introduction songs for every fucking character you can imagine. Right. Which, I should, I should emphasize this, like, I hadn't seen the stage production at all before seeing this movie. But in prep for this show, I watched the 1998 recording. Oh, God. Um, stage recording. Which... Oh, well, because Adam, I, I, I'm a goddamn professional. Um, so I wanted to really acquaint myself with what the original was. When to be fair, that version apparently cuts out a lot of songs as well. I but fuck, I think you're a masochist. <laughs> well, I was glad I did it. Watching a particular stage production gave illuminated me on a lot more on some of the elements of this movie. Like that is the show to the point where like this movie actually tries to have a bit more of a story in terms of, like Victoria. The Francesca Hayward yeah. white cat is treated as like an audience surrogate in the stage show. She's just one of the many cats. Like the stage show is just a review where it's just like the cats are like performing to you, the audience. There is no attempt at a story. It is like a skit kind of based thing, which I kind of wish the movie emphasized more on and just almost made itself like a Fantasia or a sketch show of some sort, which is like, here is one bit to the nether of just a celebrity doing a weird thing as a cat. I think it would be a lot more tolerable than like, oh, we have to have Victoria be the surrogate cat, but then you can relate to this white cat who looks doe-eyed as she is surrounded by weird cat monsters, just like her. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, just some of the cameos, it's not the cameos, but some of the actors that are in this, just it, it infinitely depressed me, like, as soon as I saw them. Oh, Sir Ian McKellen. Oh, no. Dame Judy Dench. What? Ray Whitstone? What the <laughs> and then look not for nothing but we had talked about this while we watched it supposedly the budget of the cgi for this was like extremely high and you can tell they really tried why can't they get the fucking proportions right from scene to scene the cats literally change between like almost mice size to little child size from scene to scene Yes. The the scale does not match from certain scene to certain scene, and it's almost as if the movie doesn't really care about that. And it's more about just like, well, aren't we presenting this big elaborate numbers? Isn't that more fascinating to you? There's a bunch of people dressed as little mini cockroaches. That's cool. Let's do that instead of fucking paying attention to anything we're doing. There's some mice. Oh, get it? They're fat cats. Ha 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 ha. Oh, let's look at them sexually spread their legs over and over and over. And by the way, we're going to CGI their bodies to look more feline. We're going to give them human hands and feet, though. What the fuck? Like, why? Why? I don't understand it. I don't, you know what? I, this, this fucking movie broke me. Like, I, I've never, this, how do you, who is this movie for exactly? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and answer my own question. Nobody. This movie is for nobody. This is a fucking, just this weird fucking like passion project and sexual fantasy feline thing that, 
okay, like you said, I get going to like a stage show and seeing it because it's like all whimsical and sort of crazy and goofy and it's all these people in these costumes dancing and singing these silly songs. Plus, it's also inherently a lot more like Universal where it's just like everyone who's visiting New York, even if you're from a different country or something, yeah, you can, see cats. You can ca see cats. There's not a lot. It doesn't require you to know English that well. There's not a huge plot you need to pay attention to while you're in the middle of it. You can bring your kids to it, even though I wouldn't recommend it because they might awaken something and then they don't want, you don't want them to awaken. Um, and amongst like several other things. But I, I think that's what's so fascinating to me about this movie is that I agree with you that like I don't think this is really meant for anybody because it is not really meant for most people who don't even like musicals because they're not going to really be attached to this. But even someone who likes the musical Cats is going to be turned off by that decision to make them these weird CGI monstrosities. Unless, then again, that also might appeal to a lot of them because there were plenty of, like, rowdy screenings of Cats where people went in, like, these small collections just be like, let's have a fun, almost Rocky Horror-style experience with watching this movie. Which I can see, because honestly, despite the fact that yeah, I agree yeah. with you, it, it doesn't have, like, the appeal of, like, oh, this is a movie that makes any kind of sense. It's never boring. It's constantly fascinating. And... Uh... Every single decision from everybody involved is either one that feels like, oh, they didn't quite give a shit, or they gave a shit, but in a way that doesn't match with anybody else. From beginning to end. Yes. That is 100% accurate. Why are some of the cats wizards? Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> well, well you, you mean like McCavity with his great magic of just saying a word like, ineffable, and <laughs> people disappear. <laughs> Like, what? And they all end up on a barge with Ray Winstone as Growl Tiger or whatever the fuck. Growl, is growl Tiger, sir. Can you respect oh, his sorry. Name? Which, yeah, for the record, I, I I'm, just... glad, I'm glad they kind of did it this way because in the show, that's a weird, like, story within a story where he's, like, a cat pirate. And that's, like, a character that is performed as, like, legend that there is an ancient pirate cat named Growl Tiger, as opposed to just Ray St Winstone is this creepy cat who has, like, one ear, and is just talking about being on the terms, and he has, like, a 20-second song? It's not I even know. a full song. And it's Ray Winstone doing full Ray Winstone voice. It's, like, it, it's glass in the ear canal. I don't know. I'll take him any day over. The two people where I'm really not a fan of their sections, just because I don't think they're putting as much effort into it, is there's Rebel Wilson, who you kind of referenced earlier as the Gumby Cat, who, it's definitely a case of, like, oh, she's not as invested, but more importantly, fuck James Corden so much. I hate that motherfucker so intensely because, like, he's one of these guys where anytime he comes on screen, like, you can tell he can sing and he can perform, like, he's done it before, but at the same time, he has so little effort. He's like the anti-Barbara Streisand that we talked about earlier, where, like, they're both very talented people, but James Corden does not give much of it. She's just like, oh, I can coast on my particular charms. It's like, you're no Streisand, dude. Every time you yes. just pop up, it I feels agree. phony. Any single time. Yeah. Especially even the fact that he's a fucking talk show host, but he's not a comedian. He's a fucking actor. When this movie came out, he was at the premiere for the red carpet. And then apparently, when everyone else came on stage, all the other people who were on the carpet's like, okay, let's be fair and like actually introduce the movie before we maybe sulk out as it's playing. Uh, they were like, and everybody, it's Rebel Wilson and James Corden. And only Rebel Wilson came out, and she's like, oh no, uh, James has had enough. He's not here. It's like, dude, if you didn't want to come, that's fine. Don't go to the red carpet and then fuck off. That is immediately just like, that's weaselly. Don't accept a fucking paycheck then. Right. <laughs> say, 
if you hated it that much and you think it's such a failure, fuck you, dude. You signed on, you put on that fucking green screen suit or whatever the fuck you did. You knew what you were getting into. There's no way. See, that's the thing. This is definitely one of those movies where I think there's two people in it who really thought they might be doing something cool here. One is the lead, because it's like her first movie, and you can tell she's really trying. And then Jennifer Hudson, she's really fucking belting that shit out, dude. And she's crying, and she's really getting into the emotions of it. Everyone else is on fucking cruise control, dude. Except for maybe, like, the tap dancing cat. But that's what oh, he does. Oh, look, look, we'll get to Mr. Stephen McRae. I want to disagree with you on that point, because I do think other people are trying. I just think they feel directionless. Like, I think, like, Ian McKellen, I would argue, is trying. It's just, like, so yeah. weirdly put into it where it's just, like, he's sulking around like a cat. Like, you can tell he's making an intentional choice. Or even, like, a Jason Derulo as Rum Tum Tugger. He's putting his energy into it. It's just, like, you are miscast for this. Because Rum Tum Tugger was, like, a Mick Jagger parody in the actual show. Like, it's very much based on, like, a Mick Jagger. And they try and warp the song to fit Jason Derulo, who's more of, like, this modern kind of, like, auto-tuned pop star. And it doesn't work. But at the same time... He, when he is singing into the foot of one of the cat characters in a weird foot fetish way, he's putting his all into it. Or when he like turns on the milk yeah. bar and he's like, milk, or whatever the fuck that is. That's a choice. That dude's trying. It's just like, oh, honey, this isn't working, though. Yeah, I, I, okay. Yeah, I, I, I guess I can agree with that. Uh, but, you know, the one, the, the major cameo that really fucking kind of threw me for a loop while we're watching is, um, you know, I don't know how familiar a lot of the listeners are with, like, breakdancing and things like that but <laughs> the breakdance group lay twins shows up uh, you, you might know them if you ever watched the world of dance show like they won the first season and stuff really talented fucking guys they're like breakdance battlers uh, they show up for one dance number and they're wearing converse all-stars yeah but like, they're fully naked cats with chuck taylor's on like what the fuck is the point of why why? Just why are they wearing human shoes? I it's just it's so mind blowing to me. Why are the cats wearing fur coats and fedoras? Why? Why is the one wearing red overalls and tap shoes? Look, look! How dare you question Skimble Shanks and his attire? What I'm saying is, I get like maybe that's how they dress in the Broadway show or whatever. I don't know. I've never seen the fucking thing. But you're just. Come on, man. Then have them dress the completely the way they do in the Broadway show. They should have just been in the suits and shit in the makeup then. Cause it takes it it makes it so bizarre that you see these weird CGI cartoon characters, then they're in human clothes. Well or or even the weirdest one is Rebel Wilson where she has like skin that's on her that she zips off suddenly. Which Yeah, what the in, fuck is that? In the show, there's like that particular character comes out in like what looks like a big overcoat. That's like initially like, oh, she's like a tabby cat that has that coat on. But then she unzips it and she's like, oh, there's another stylish outfit underneath. Which is like, right. that makes more sense than like, it's very realistic looking skin and fur that fucking Rebel Wilson has. That also becomes a plot point when she escapes later. Yeah, that happens. And then you got Idris Elba right, as McCavity. And it's like they did the least amount of CGI on his face. It just looks like Idris Elba wearing the contacts from Thor. Like, he's wearing the fedora, the trench coat, and he takes it off, and they, like, really sexed up. Like, they gave him a six-pack. Like, the cat 
is like it looks like Idris Elba is basically naked. Right. I think around. that's the thing. They didn't give him yeah. that. Idris Elba obviously naturally has that. But also they yeah, didn't yeah. add a lot of like other things. It was like, oh, he looks like a weird cat monster. It's like, no, it looks just like Idris Elba's naked and has no penis. Because none of these people have genitalia. These cat people. Yeah, right. And that's the thing, too. And they constantly are like showing like they're exposing their genitalia. And then there's nothing there. Granted, thank God. I don't want to see that. But still, it's, just, it's so bizarre. It is just so bizarre. And then up until the point I'm about to discuss is so sexualized, but then it goes to like a whole other level when Tay Swift shows up. Yes, with her catnip. And it just turns into like, you literally think an orgy is about to happen. It's so sexually charged. Well, well, to be fair, even from minute one, we kind of made this comment when we were watching it. We're like, at the beginning when the Victoria character is like dumped by the one human who we don't see their face. Uh, just, like, dumps yeah. her in a bag out in the middle of the trash. Like, all the other cats, like, skulking around this poor Victoria character. And it does instantly look just like, oh, God, what's what's about to happen here, Victoria? You need to leave. Oh. You need to immediately leave. Run! Run! <laughs> and, and it, I think we even discussed this, like, it feels like you took the wrong turn at Albuquerque in your Comic-Con yes. experience. And you're just like, oh, I didn't want to be in this room. I mean, no judgment. No, we're not kink-shaming here, but also, I don't want to be a part of this. <laughs> yeah, whatever you're into, that's fine. Do your thing. That's cool. But, it, it, yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't think of a, way, a decent way to say what I want to, so yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> uh, it's just fucking weird, dude. Right, it's a movie basically about Victoria being indoctrinated into like a group who uh, does group orgies. And she seems like she wants to consent to that. She wants to be a part of it. And it's just like, look, you found your tribe. Fine. That's great. Yeah, she's trying to get into the eyes wide shut fuck party. Right. Like, that's, that's what it is all the whole time. What is the password? Jellicle. Um, <laughs> oh, I might forget that password. I maybe you should repeat that to me multiple times so I remember. Oh, I'll tell you what. If you, if you want to hear the word Jellicle a lot, uh, watch the movie Cats. Because uh, they're going to say it. About 175 times. Every intonation possible of Jellicle uh, is here. Yeah. You could make a soundboard of just like confused Jellicle, happy Jellicle, yep. mad Jellicle. Yep. Sexy Jellicle. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's all there, man. So let me try to get this, because I asked you this several times while watching this, because that's one of these movies, too. Eventually, I just shut up, and I'm like, all right, I'm not even going to ask questions, because I don't <laughs> think there are. What I pieced together is that these cats, who their group is called the Jellicles, the one that's chosen is almost like sent to die and is reincarnated. Right. Like back younger and happier, whatever the fuck. As chosen by old Deuteronomy, in this case played right. by Judy Dench, yes. Judy Dench, right. So they put the cat in a fucking hot air balloon and just let it go. So... <laughs> Thus she goes to the heavy side lair. Yes, I don't know. The, the yeah, logic is airtight, sir. Airtight. Yeah, you're right. How dare I? But the funniest part of this movie to me is you made the joke, and I just thought it was so funny that after Jennifer Hudson is sent off in the air balloon and all the cats come out in the morning, right to like the town square, and they're all singing and dancing, and you made the joke, and we both started doing it. Like, could you imagine somebody in these apartments or whatever that are around there just waking up in the morning and all they're hearing is, <laughs> Which, funnily enough, I'm glad I watched the show because they do that in the show at one point. In, like, the original Broadway show. There's a point where, like, a giant boot is thrown in front of the cats. Good. 
I wish that happened in this movie. No, here's the thing, like, to, to get back with that show, I think there's a lot of things where I'm watching that show and I'm like, I don't like necessarily this Broadway show. It still has a lot of the same problems we're talking about that don't make a lot of sense. But at the same time, there's a bit more of like, okay, I get where this works on stage where it doesn't work here. Like, for example, um, the we, we mentioned the Ian McCallan character, Gus, the theater cat. What's so fascinating is in the play, that character is portrayed as like, oh, a cat who was like on its last legs. Like it had, they mentioned in the song, like he has palsy and stuff like that. It's like this sad song about like an older theater cat who like used to be so big. And in the stage play, the cat's talking about like, oh, I used to perform this wonderful character everyone knew me as, and I was so on the heights. And that actual character that he played starts dancing around him as almost like a memory a distant thing of, like, this was who I was, this great theater actor that I was that inspired everybody, and it's just this faint memory that I can't see anymore, as opposed to, in the movie, Ian McKellen, despite being obviously very old, is still spry enough to have, like, all these weird tics that feel like a cat. So it just feels like, you're too cognizant for this to work. It just feels like you're an older dude who's kind of just an asshole, just talking about, oh, I was once part of the theater, and I was so wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's Clint Eastwood. <laughs> it's ex- you know, when I think of Clint Eastwood in his off time, it's exactly what he sounds like. <laughs> Behind closed doors. <laughs> making sure, like, none of his Republican friends or the chair that was Barack Obama sees him. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, get off my lot. Goes it. A... Uh, a fortnight ago, <laughs> I was... <laughs> I was a man. Well, the Deuteronomy character is a male in the stage performance. Right. In the recording, he's uh, they're actually played by um, Ken Page, who you might know as the voice of, like, Oogie Boogie or the Weird Alligator in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Like, he's a big, jovial, almost like Santa Claus-type figure who everyone is like, oh, we, we love him so much. And I get it because, like, oh, it's Ken Page. He's, like, big and, you know, adorable and fluffy. And, like, it makes sense. As opposed to, like, all Deuteronomy here, like, Judy Dench plays it like she's a dame. Like, she is true royalty, who is above all these people. And she's like, oh, I will choose one of you. Maybe you, maybe you, who knows? And just, it feels so weirdly distant, despite the fact that she's amongst all these other fucking alley cats. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And then it's like, the whole time all these other cats are doing these fucking performances, and Jennifer Hudson comes out, who you're led to believe, like, she's a prostitute cat, comes out and sings this song. She's like, you are the Jellicle. You're like, okay, fucking, this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. (laughs) Well, right, because the the thing is, there's a whole song early on where Jennifer Hudson is outcast, where everyone just says, like, oh, she joined up with McCavity, and she's an awful cat. In the stage show, it's more explicitly like a sex worker thing. It's so weird. And especially in this movie that ostensibly is aimed at a family audience came out around Christmas time. Very weird. Um, But later on, like, Jennifer Hudson belts out, like, the big song, Memory. The song that, even if you don't know what Cats is, you've heard Memory. Whether it is Barbara oh. Streisand or some various... Like, you've probably gone to an audition that your niece had where she fucking sang Memory. <laughs> like, everyone has heard this fucking song. And she belts it out in a way that, you know, Jennifer Hudson, very talented singer, belts it out beautifully. But it's coming out of Jennifer Hudson as mutated into this cat. So it's like, I can't appreciate the performance. Much in the same way I can't appreciate the dancing or any of these other things... Because the CG is so nightmarish and distracting. <laughs> and in some cases, unfinished. Yep, there is that too. This movie assaults your senses. I think is the best way to describe it. Like, your eyes are, like, not sure what you're seeing is happening. Like I said, especially with sort of the scale problems. 
And then there's a lot of really bad songs. Like Memories, yeah, or, okay, I get it. Like, it's a super popular song. It's incredibly identifiable. No other song in this movie works for me. You shut your fucking mouth. You know there's one. You know there's one. We agreed on this. This was the one bit of the movie where... He... It tapped in. No, I know. I want to go into full detail about Skimble Shanks, the railway cat, because I think that's the moment where the movie reaches a zenith for me of being not funny bad, but just genuinely entertaining to me. Where in the middle of like this jellical ball where everyone's doing their performances or whatever, this one cat comes out who we've seen in the background. You mentioned him. It's Stephen McRae as Skimble Shanks, who's this dude who's working like Roger Rabbit cosplay and has a giant like whisker mustache. And it's just like, well, I it's time for me to do my song about uh, myself, Skimble Shanks, the railway cat. And he goes on a full musical tear where he, that man is tap dancing beautifully and then tap dances along the rails with all these other cats and they're at their smallest for they're about the size of those cockroaches we saw earlier <laughs> but i don't care because then they go into the actual train and they go full board he, this guy steve mcgray has like so much personality that he's able to get past this awful cd that's around his fucking face because he can tap dance so well because he has this weird like impishness because he's like a cat that look oh i run the railway Basically, that's his whole fucking song. Just like I run this train, so weird. But I'm immediately just like, this is the zine that the war. This movie is kind of perfect, right up until the point where he tap dances and then spins and goes into the sky and disappears and ends up on the barge with fucking Ray Winston. <laughs> so good. I mean, it's it's something. I mean, I look. Let's put it this way: in this fucking terrible movie. Uh, that's probably the most like bombastic, exciting moment. Nothing else. Is, I mean, everything else is fascinating, but I, I'd argue that's probably the one where you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. But other than that, nah. Right, because all the other people who aren't naturally actors, the dancers and stuff, look lost. Like Francis Hayward as the lead cat. Or the, the one dude who looks like Christoph Waltz we kept talking about. <laughs> or the Mr. Mistopheles guy. <laughs> and who, don't worry if you forgot his name. Because <laughs> there's going to be a whole song where they repeat his name multiple times. <laughs> it's, like, they look scared. All, the other, like, bigger famous people look like they're kind of trying, but in this weird way. And then there's, like, James Corden. She's like, oh, I'm going to just stand here and do nothing because I'm James Corden. You know, I'm just here. Everybody loves me. Yeah. I'm fat. I'm fat. I like <laughs> he's, to eat. Yep, that's his whole joke with his characters. He's yep. Buster for Jones, the fat cat. Hilarious. I don't think I could, in good conscience, recommend this to anybody to watch alone. Like, this is definitely mm-hmm. one of those movies you got to watch it with somebody. Yes. And I'm telling you right now, look, if you're a drinker or a smoker or whatever you might do, have some of that shit at the ready. You will need it. I mean, I'll say this much, Adam. Um, I'll never forget the experience of watching Cats in a theater, because I did. Because I had to see this train wreck in the big screen. And I'll never forget the experience of going there, like, the Saturday after it opened... And being, like, kind of tired, because it was a morning screening, because I'm like, this is going to leave theaters very soon, so I better do this as early as I possibly can. And it was a decently packed theater. Like, no one reacted at all to it, except for there was a kid and her mom in the corner, who you could very clearly hear the little girl ask her mom, Mommy, what's going on? And in the most defeated voice I could ever hear, that mom said, Honey, I don't know. (laughs) I don't 
No, and that's kind of the experience that, honestly, this is this might shock you. I've watched this movie four times now. Because I find this movie incredibly fascinating. We talk about bad movies all the time in this show. Sometimes very infamously bad movies. They're, like, huge and big. Like, we don't get decisions this bad anymore in a modern Hollywood where every single decision is, like, micromanaged by, like, any number of different corporate entities or any different, like, studio person. Every single thing is so macromanaged to the point where we don't... Like, most bad movies that come out now are just kind of, like, big CG sludges as opposed to... This movie is full of, like, crappy CG, but it's distinctive. Every single one of these cats looks terrible in a completely different way. <laughs> like, it's it's such a rare experience we get a massive budget movie that makes so many wrong turns that are mostly based on the source material, but also just other things the director decided to add in. So we're like, this is probably the most entertaining Tom Hooper movie. Because, like, Les Mis isn't that entertaining, nor is the King's Speech, nor is, like, that transphobic Danish girl movie he did. Like, this movie is too entertaining to me to completely dismiss. Because, like, we may never get a failure on this scale again in the modern Hollywood blockbuster system. <laughs> Like, we even talked about, like, the most recent one we could even think of before this was, like, The Lone Ranger. I'm willing to bet because of this movie, people are going to really be careful. You know, not necessarily be careful, but this movie, if it serves nothing, hopefully it's to teach a lesson that not everything transfers well to film. Not every single original IP is going to work in a movie, too. Right, so we're just going to kind of remake the same IP. And not well, really, not like, diverge that. around. The original shit, then. No, no. I, I will... <laughs> that's not likely. I really don't think no, so. No, no that, those days are done. This movie sucks. <laughs> but it, 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 but it's such a fascinating suck. Like, it's just... It's so bizarre. I, like you said, I will say this. Watching it with you, I was never bored. I was perplexed. I was depressed. I was angry. I was in, in whole, like, stitches laughing. A uh, little drunk which helped, but I was never bored. And I mean, I don't think, even if you watch this on your own, you won't be bored. You won't probably have as much fun, but I don't think you'll, like, boredom does not even enter this movie's vocabulary in terms no, of, like, I, reactions to it. I could see the level of sort of perplexity and confusion. Like, if I watched this by myself, I'd have struggled to get through it. Definitely. Well, no, I mean, it's like a sensory overload movie, for sure. There's also that element. Yeah, it's just, like, it would just <laughs> You might have had an aneurysm if you watched it alone. <laughs> I almost did watching it with you, I can imagine. <laughs> That's the final question before we have whatever final thoughts. Maybe this can be your final thought, Adam. When sure. we watched this, by the end of it, you were saying, this is the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. And you've seen plenty of bad movies, Adam. Would you still oh. state that with this movie that is the worst piece of shit? Including a movie we watched for the show earlier this year, uh, Oogie Loves and the Big Balloon Adventure. Would you say this is even worse than that movie, which you said was the bottom of the barrel? Let me let me sort of put this into its own group, um, and it, I will make this my final thoughts. No, Oogie Love is the worst thing I've ever fucking seen. Like, there's no question. Cats, Cats is the worst big budget failure I have ever seen. If I can put it that way, I've seen a lot of big budget bad movies, but this is probably the worst example of that to me. Where they threw so much money at this thing with no idea how to film it or if they even could. And it just it it's just so mind-bogglingly terrible and bad. But if I really you know fucking whoever would do this to me is the worst person alive. But if someone made me choose between watching this or Oogie Loves, I would watch this again. It's got a special place in cinema history for me. 
just how much of a fucking crazy clusterfuck failure this thing is. I, I've never seen a more sort of prime example, like I said, of, of just because something is successful in another medium doesn't mean it's going to work in film form. And this is one of the biggest examples of that I can honestly think of. If you haven't seen it, and if any, nothing we've said has deterred you from it, then give it a shot. I don't know. I don't think anybody's going to like it, but I can still see this becoming like a modern day, like you even said, even though it's Rocky Wars, a much better movie, but I could see this becoming a movie like that, a cult sort of movie that, you know, people take and make it into something that it wasn't originally intended to be and make, have fun with it. Um, that's the only way this thing could have in nine lives. Hey, oh, beautiful. A, a joke worthy of Buster for Jones himself. Yes, absolutely. Now, where's my garbage? <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, Top Cat. I, I think I'll just say that, like, this is the kind of movie that is the reason why we have half of this show for me. Where, like, we do the thing with, like, good and bad movies on the show. And sometimes we talk about movies that, like, we have nothing to say about or we have just intense anger toward. I have no anger toward cats. I can't hate anything this distinctively bizarre. That's what I love about, like, you know, when we do this show, sometimes it could feel like, oh, are you kind of, like, punching down at a movie? And sometimes it can feel that way, depending on what the movie is. But with a bad like this, it's only punching up. And even then... I don't feel like necessarily punching this movie. I feel like watching in fascination with how bizarre this is. A true film fan can find something fascinating, entertaining, interesting, even about a very bad movie like Cats. Like all like our 49 minutes of this movie, I find incredibly fascinating on every single level. And that's, I think, the best kind of movie that objectively on a lot of levels is very terrible, but consistently entertains on such a level that like, like you said, definitely try and watch this with other friends who can kind of stand to at least watch a musical, but can also be fascinated by a massive amount of talented people making incredibly bad decisions. Because <laughs> that's what Cats is. A lot of very talented people, whether they're used to being on the screen or they're musicians becoming actors like a Jennifer Hudson or James Jason Derulo, um, or even an Idris Elba, technically kind of is that, or Taylor Swift, of course. Like, all these people who are talented in some form or another making completely different bad decisions to create cats which will exist now and forever in our hearts but now adam it's time we did our weekly segment the double redo where every single week you and i pick um two double features actually each one that's the best possible double feature and the worst so total of four movies for each person two good ones two bad ones that are related to the topic in this case musicians turned actors so please adam go first with your choices for the double redo Okay, so for my two good choices, I have for the first one, I have People vs. Larry Flint, uh, which obviously is here because of Courtney Love, uh, who I am, by the way, not a fan of in 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 any way, uh, musically or her sort of her celebrity personality. Um, but she's so fucking good in this movie. I know it's hard to believe Courtney Love playing a drug addict. Oh, I've heard the jokes, but she's still super committed to the role man as Althea. She's so good in it. I, I I'm completely like every time I watch it, I'm really surprised 
that it didn't lead to more work for her. But then, you know, you read the stories and just how problematic she can be. Obviously, there's a reason why. But she's such a good sort of bounce off for even one of Woody Harrelson's best performances as well. Um, it's it's a really high fucking caliber performance from Courtney Love. I, it's it's kind of mind blowing. Great movie too, by the way. And then my other choice, I have Boys in the Hood, which obviously for Ice Cube, which I th- believe this was his first movie role as well, if not close to. And he's great in it. He's terrifying. He's scary. But he's also got so much heart and compassion for his family and friends. It's just, it's a really great performance. And one of the first, you know, sort of movies that I've ever seen that sort of exposed, like, what was happening in South Central L.A. and things like that. You know, because I'm from fucking Michigan. What do, and I'm a white kid, white Irish kid. What do I know about what's happening in South Central L.A.? And this was one of the first ones that I saw that really sort of made me, you know, seek out more of those type of movies and really sort of get interested in sort of the you know idea of gentrification and what it actually means to dispose households and families and uh i'll tell you what i watch it because of ice cube because i was a hip-hop music fan and uh i think it's just a wonderful movie great great performance from ice cube um and then my bad movies very quickly i have uh one of the three movies she was in uh, i'm talking about jessica simpson and i have employee of the month now, I could have easily picked either Blonde Ambition or Dukes of Hazard, uh, but I chose Employee of the Month not only because of Jessica Simpson, but also because of Dane fucking Cook. Uh, I cannot stand Dane Cook. I hate his dude bro persona, his style of comedy, everything. I, I just can't stand him. And uh, she's also very terrible in it. You get why she only did three movies. It's just unfunny, cruel, mean, sexist. The whole movie is just ridiculous. It's just, it's awful. And then my other one, I have uh, a movie starring Aaliyah. I think only one of the two movies she did, maybe three, I think was only two uh, before she tragically passed. I have Romeo Must Die, the uh, martial arts take on the classic like Romeo and Juliet story. But in this, instead of, you know, it, it's two warring gangs. It's uh, the Chinese triads versus sort of a uh, an African-American gang. A lot of great actors in this movie, but man... It just, there's no chemistry between Aaliyah and Jet Li, and you're supposed to, like, follow these two. Anthony Anderson is is one of the most annoying performances I've ever seen in a film, including Exit Wounds, which he's basically the same character in this. It's it's a terrible, terrible film. Really bad wire fighting, like some of the worst I've ever seen. And it's just a shame because Aaliyah is actually kind of solid in it. Uh, she's not great, but you could see... Had she had more time and done more work, she she potentially could have been a really, really good actress. Uh, maybe not one of the greats, but really solid. Uh, so it's kind of, I picked it just for that. It's it's a sort of a, a movie of, you know, what could have maybe come from this. Because this is just, it's a bad martial arts movie. And like I said, no chemistry between the two leads. A real uh, West Wire Foo story, as it were. Uh, very good. Yes. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Try the veal. Um, I have not seen that film. I honestly haven't seen the other one, uh, Play of the Month, mostly because I also had a lack of tolerance for Dane Cook, even when he was quite popular um, with kids around my age in, like, 2006. He was like, oh, he's, like, the really 
edgy comedian that we all just love so much. He's like, I don't know, he seems kind of like an asshole. And I don't know, yeah, but based on a lot of his performances, I've seen that. Jessica Simpson, even like you messaged me that this was going to be your pick, because we usually message these to each other to make sure we don't overlap. And it took me a second to remember that Jessica Simpson actually sang music. For, because I'm just like, it's so weird where like her career where like she was a singer and then she became an actor. But for most of like her career of being famous at all, she's just kind of like famous for being famous. She's almost like a socialite type person, which I mean, she's gained a lot of money and attention for doing that. No disrespect to that. But I think that's why with like her acting career, it didn't feel like it was a case of like Hollywood shunned her. It was more of like a mutual breakup, it feels like. Because from what I've seen of her, it just kind of feels like, you know what, we're not getting anything from each other on this. Hollywood and Jessica Simpson were just like, no, I think we should see other people. Because <laughs> this ain't working between us two. But then, uh, your other two, I have seen the good picks. And, I mean, I agree about People vs. Larry Flint. That was, like, sort of an Oscar movie that I think got kind of lost in the shuffle. Uh, but it actually holds up very well. I think it's a really fascinating movie about sort of someone who was challenging the system at the time by producing porn while also being, like, kind of a skeevy person. Like, Larry Flynn is that Woody Harrelson does a really great job of. And Courtney Love, I agree, is, like, so good playing off of him in a way where it feels, like, just very authentic. Uh, not just necessarily because she's a drag addict, but also I really believe her chemistry with Woody Harrelson. And I feel the tragedy of, like, what ends up happening to that character. Um, and it's, you know, I guess a shame that, like, Courtney Love, unfortunately, has, like, substance abuse issues that would later lead to her not being as sort of uh, prolific as an actor. Because I think she would have done at least some interesting performances if she was able to do so but unfortunately by the time you get to like what was the one roast where she was on it pam anderson roast yeah the pamela anderson roast that was yeah. one of those ones where it's just like oh we're all just kind of this is this feels a bit more sad that was around the time where i stopped kind of giving a shit about those roasts because this just feels like me that we're doing this um uh, but with the uh, boys in the hood i completely agree as well that like ice cube is one of those guys where he's always reliable even if I don't think he's always cast perfectly well. Uh, Boys in the Hood is an example where he does such a great job, like, where the persona fits that particular character perfectly. And you get so much of, like, him playing off of Cuba Gooding Jr. in a way where it feels like, oh, man, this guy is actually tough and knows the streets, but, like, he's not a cliche. He actually feels just like he's a natural person, which I think works perfectly. And Ice Cube has used 21 Jump Street movies I love him in. He's very funny when he wants to be. He's very, like, personable and real. Um, in a way that it never feels inauthentic with Ice Cube, even if it doesn't feel like the best placement. And Boys in the Hood's one of the better examples, for sure, of him being implemented and done so perfectly, particularly, like, near the end of the movie. He delivers, like, the line of the movie, which is, like, they either don't know, don't show, or don't care what's going on in the hood. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful moment in that movie. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. But I have my own choices here, Adam, that uh, I'll go ahead and uh, list off. Um... For uh, my musicians turned actors, good picks. I'll start off here, the older choice here from 1983. I have Videodrome from director David Cronenberg, which obviously there's a lot of issues with this movie. If you try and watch it now with the certain star, in terms of uh, it might not be fun to go back to a James Woods movie. He played Nassau so perfectly in so many of these movies that like it works so well to see him, especially get like his entire existence questioned. When he ends up meeting Debbie Harry, who's in this movie, who, if you don't know Videodrome, like, he plays an asshole, like, skeevy dude who runs, like, a UHF station, basically, on TV that shows, like, all sorts of, like, sex and violence and other weird shit. Um, but Debbie Harry comes into his life, and is just this remarkable, fascinating person who is very kinky and very sexual 
in a way that totally works for the movie where she becomes almost an icon of what becomes like this weird body horror sex thing that goes on. And despite the fact that she's not wearing her actual blonde hair that made her famous as Blondie, I think Debbie Harry is so inherently like such a fascinating presence where she's very beautiful, but in a way that's so distinct. So when all this horrible shit's going around and like you see her on like a TV screen beckoning you forward to like kiss the screen at one point that happens and fucking James Woods makes that with the TV, you get why he would be beckoned because she's such a fascinating drawing presence. She manages to be both really terrifying but incredibly alluring at the same time. It's such a stellar turn from her. Um, then the other good one I have is a more recent pick and has uh, someone who um, had tried acting to limited success earlier on, but I would say between Out of Sight and Hustlers, which is my ultimate pick, Jennifer Lopez delivers like such a solid performance as this stripper who takes the main character under her wing, in one case literally with a giant fur coat, and they basically become entrepreneur strippers. And it is such a like charming, interesting movie where you are immediately entranced with like, oh my god, like I feel like they're a family in this weird way, but it's almost like a good film is reading these gangster movies where it's like, nope, this is all going to fall apart. And it falls apart wonderfully. I think Jennifer Lopez in particular plays that kind of like mother hen character with a bit more like venom to her in a way that's like totally perfect. Like this is a movie where, you know, a lot of people were clamoring and about like get her awards recognition. And I a hundred percent agree. She should have been nominated for this movie. It is such a stellar performance. And if you skipped out on Hustlers because you were like, oh, I don't know if I want to see like this J-Lo movie where they play strippers, that movie fucking rules. It is so entertaining, so fun, and so interesting. But then the two bad ones I have, um, I'll just briefly say one of them we covered at the very start of our show, very early, in the first musical episode we did, uh, from Justin to Kelly, which starred Kelly Clarkson and Justin Guarini, um, who were the finalists on American Idol's first season that were contractually obligated to make this movie as a tie-in. And it's an infamously terrible movie that was, like, so poorly, like, received and had such little box office reception. Within 30 days, it went from the theaters to DVD and VHS at that time. And uh, you can see why. It feels like a Disney Channel original movie they somehow put on the screen. And both of them feel like they're being held hostage and they don't want to do this. It's this weird example where, like, so many other times it's like, oh, a musician wants to become an actor and it feels like an ego thing. Uh, this is the exact opposite example where they don't want to be here and they are held at gunpoint by this director to make this fucking movie. The whole movie you watch and you're just like, oh, man, I want to get these two kids out of here. <laughs> they don't look like they're having fun. Um, but you also wouldn't have fun with this other movie I picked, which is an animated film. Um, called Shrek the Third. You might have heard of Shrek, if you are aware of the internet to some degree at all. And this movie is very terrible, and I think was the point of no return for the Shrek franchise um, for being, to any degree, good. One of the main reasons for that is um, the linchpin of the story is uh, Shrek has to try and find a new heir to the throne so he can't be king anymore um, in this particular movie. And that heir is Arthur, as played by Justin Timberlake, and I think this is the key example where many animated movies, especially of the DreamWorks ilk, try and put musicians into voice acting roles, which you would figure, oh, they're in a booth and they're saying things. That might work for a musician. And it is such a bland, completely without any kind of interest vocal performance, despite the fact that that character is kind of crucial to the plot of whatever this fucking movie is. It's introducing this new character who the only gimmick, she's like, oh, it's Justin Timberlake? There! That's, that's who it is, and there's nothing to it. It is a very bland vocal performance and a very bland, terrible animated film. 
so I have seen uh, all of these. I can't agree more about Hustlers. Hustlers was definitely one of those, uh, again, that I wasn't really interested in. Uh, just because, you know, it's it's J-Lo. And like you said, she's, she's not necessarily the best of actors. But um, you actually recommended that I, I try it. And I'm, I'm very, very glad I did. I thoroughly enjoy Hustlers. I think it's a very fun sort of crime thriller uh, anchored by just the best performance she's ever given in Jennifer Lopez. Um, and then also, you know, you got a couple other musicians that show up in the movie, too. You got... Uh, what Cardi B and yes. um and Usher in one particular fun scene <laughs> playing Usher himself and Lizzo yes um yeah there's it's uh, there's a lot of good performances in this uh Video Drone you know I, I I like Video Drone it's probably I I haven't seen it as much as I've seen other Cronenberg things uh but Debbie Harry yeah you completely get it she's so good in it and I completely agree with you she has the otherworldly beauty about her that really lends itself to the performance and to the character. And yeah, I think it's great. Uh, Justin and Kelly, one of the worst pieces of shit ever made. It has that uh, reputation for a reason. It's, it's fucking atrocious. And you just, when you hear about, especially Kelly Clarkson and how she so badly didn't want to do it. She didn't want to have to do a makeout scene. She wanted to do any of the shit. And it was like, she was forced and I just feel so bad for it. And you get to see it on screen. Like, you know, I'm sure Justin Guarini didn't want to be there either. He had Dr. Pepper commercials to do, but neither of them wanted to be there. And it's so obvious. And then, yeah, Shrek the Third is just, oh, it's it's so bad. And it's so wild, you know, because Timberlake has proven himself to be a, at least a capable actor. I, I'm never going to say he's great, but he's definitely capable. So you'd think, like, like you said, a, a singer going into a booth to record vocals that he's supposed to have emotion and things like that to it. And there's none. It sounds like he's just reading the script. And yeah, DreamWorks does have a fucking habit of doing that. And it's like, just don't do it, man. It, it, get the right person for the job. Don't just have it be a name just to be a name. And especially for Shrek the Third. Shrek the Third would have made money without Timberlake involved or not. They should have just got somebody who was right for the job. And uh, yeah, I, I can't agree more. That is absolutely the first strike on the death nail of the Shrek coffin. I don't know. He's undead now because he's a meme and people love that undead meme. Shrek will never die. Never truly die. No. Shrek now and forever. For sure on that. (laughs) Um, But uh, that is our double redo. Definitely send your titles in. Uh, We'll repeat ours briefly here before we head out. Sure. For the good picks, I had Boys in the Hood and People vs. Larry Flint. For my bad, I had Employee of the Month and Romeo Must Die. And uh, my two good picks were Hustlers and Videodrome. And my two bad ones were From Justin to Kelly and Shrek the Third. Well, now it's time we start getting toward the exit of the show here, and we'll be doing our picking at the very end, so stay tuned for that. But first, a bit of house cleaning. We want to thank some people like Chris Oliver for doing the intro and outro music for our show. Listen more of his music, chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. And thanks to uh, Christian Thor Lally for the artwork for our show. Follow him at Night of Water, that's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water. For more of his great artwork, you can find a link tree there to all his different socials on Twitter. And of course, also thanks to our loyal Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash pod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to listen to bonus podcasts we do, uh, and also a vote in polls for movies that we cover. Um, like, for example, this week that this episode's going up, uh, there will be a poll for uh, Moonfall, is uh, still supposed to come out as this recording 
um, on February 4th, and we decided, you know what, in January, uh, we might want to cover a topic that relates to Moonfall to some degree, uh, because there are two sort of genres that fits into it we haven't covered, and that is uh, either disaster films or interstellar travel, which, keep in mind, that would be sort of like you're going into space, you might encounter, say, aliens and stuff, but we're keeping it a bit more grounded. Think more like Apollo 13, as opposed to, like, Star Wars, if you will. Um, so those are the two choices, either disaster films or that kind of interstellar travel thing. Um, we'll have a poll up. If you pay $1 a month and become an edgelord patron, as we call them, you get to vote and uh, decide which one of those we do next month as a topic. Um, and also, just generally, uh, this is coming out the week of Christmas, and uh, we want to say happy holidays to everybody. You know, if you were, you know, if you're a Jewish listener and you celebrate Hanukkah, a few weeks ago, or you are celebrating Christmas or something, whatever winter holiday, uh, happy holidays to all of you. Yeah, happy holidays, and, you know, let's make next year a fucking better one, hopefully. Hopefully. It ain't gonna happen. Damn you, Omnicron! Oh, well, Omnicron per CIA, damn you. Um, but... Um, if you want more of our antics to keep entertained, uh, no matter what's going on out there, uh, find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod, where we post random things, like uh, as of when this is being released, we did a dumb thing that we're still doing, which is the 12 Days of Bilmus, which is just a bunch of dumb jokes we made up about movies we cover on the show and doing in the 12 Days of Christmas style <laughs> that we're having fun with over there, along with just like random other things. Like for last week's episode, I posted a huge thread about Dick Tracy merchandise. That <laughs> is so fascinating. <laughs> I would recommend anybody look at that. Um, but uh, you can also email us, doublehdoublebill uh, at gmail.com. I'll spell out for any feedback you might want to have us read on the show. And if you can't support us on the Patreon for the $1, that's cool. Uh, you could help us with a one-time purchase of uh, some merchandise at the Tee Public store over uh, at tpublic.com. Uh, there will be a link in the description where you can buy a mug, a t-shirt, anything else with our logo on it. And it really helps out, especially gets uh, us a bit of a kickback if you buy something. So it would help it if they did what, Adam? Meow. Meow. Does that translate to buy our merch, buy our merch? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're you're appealing to the undersung cat audience in our <laughs> listenership. That was my Idris Elba impression. Oh, perfect. He's like he was in the room. Oh, he, Idris, skid a better agent. He is in the room now. He's punching me in the back of the head. <laughs> He's so bad. Oh no, you're gonna disappear and I'll say McCavity and make you yeah. disappear to the barge with Ray Winston. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, for more of our own individual antics, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd is at NapaHoosTommy. And I also do some writing at both MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and Film-Cred.com. Uh, and you can also specifically over at FilmCred, we have this fun thing that's been posted up uh, about Succession Season 3 in which a bunch of writers contributed. And uh, I did a bit of a thing about uh, the character Tom Wamgans. That's why I have Matthew McFadden on that show. Uh, not just because he has my similar first name, but also there's a lot of interesting stuff to that character from the season I wanted to flesh out on. And also, I wanted to shout out, I was on a podcast recently with friend of the show, Marcelo Pico, uh, called Have a Nice Apocalypse, where uh, him, along with uh, Marcus Irving, do a show about uh, the works of Richard Kelly. And uh, they've been covering Southland Tales in detail because it's Marcus's favorite film, evidently. We covered a specific section of the movie 
that is uh, pretty notable for having like Justin Timberlake lip sync to the Killer song. If you're aware of that particular section, we go into detail on that particular movie and Justin Timberlake's acting career and also um, why I might have changed my tune a bit about Southland Tales from what I previously thought. But you'll have to listen to find out what exactly that change was. Doobly. I still hate Southland Tales. Uh, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. And you can also find me on Letterboxd at Schwanton. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And uh, for more of our show here, you can uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on ESO, why not listen to all the other great shows on there? But you can also dig into our archives on our Podbean main feed for a bunch of episodes we did even before we joined ESO. And if nothing else, if you can't buy the merch or support us on the Patreon, the completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, and share the show around. That gives us more visibility. You should introduce us like we're a cat and cats to people out there. No, don't, no. That's true. That's a bad sales pitch. That won't quite work. Yeah, yes. don't, don't do that. We're double-edged, uh, double bill. The podcasting cats. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, you know what? Yeah, fuck it. Go for it. I might get us some attention. Do what you got to do. Christian, work your magic. Yeah, your McCavity magic. Yes, please, Christian. Yep. You're good at it. Well, now, Adam, it's time for the picking. Uh, for this next episode that we're doing, which is very interesting because uh, it's the last episode of 2021. Can you believe it, Adam? No. I mean, yes. This has been both the longest and shortest year of my life. The sad thing is, I think that can describe the last several years to some degree. <laughs> At certain points for, like, anybody. The last couple years have been pretty rough. And uh, we are uh, doing, as we usually do at the end of every year uh we like talking about uh movies that came out in 2021 uh that'll be our topic we did this in, in the midpoint of the year where we covered cherry and barb and star go to vista del mar and uh, we'll have two completely different picks here uh where basically if you're new every week adam and i pick a good and a bad feature based on one of us has two good choices one of us has two bad choices we pick a number between one and ten assigned to those sticker choices usually and that gets us our um good and our bad pick Though, uh, keep in mind two things. One, uh, we do have our patrons, patreon.com slash gedbpod, sometimes vote for choices. In the case of Adam's two good choices, they did vote for a particular one. And uh, that one is also exempt from a specific rule that we do, which is the Godfather rule. Adam and I uh, have this single veto in our back pocket. We have uh, from now until our next anniversary in May. Uh, where the veto will uh, basically be used if, say, Adam, here's one of my two bad choices. Uh, he can say, uh, actually, I'll take the cannoli, and thus uh, whatever the other choices he isn't aware of will be the ultimate pick that we cover for the show. Uh, but like I said, the patron ones are exempt from that, and as I mentioned, we are doing Werewolves Within, which is a comedy uh, that came yeah. out earlier this year, and uh, appropriate for the winter season, even though it's also a spooky movie. Um, but it's also, it's generally a really funny comedy. I have seen it previously, and obviously Adam's a fan. Best video game movie ever made. Yes, very true, based I... on the video game of the same name, and is, uh, definitely the cream of that very minor crop. Yes, I definitely agree. But yeah, it's spooky, in quotes, I'd say. I, I, I think it's just all out of comedy. It's an all out of comedy with maybe, I'll say, some very gory moments. Yeah, 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 there's that. Yes. For sure. But, Adam, I've got my two bad picks I've assigned number two, one and ten for. So please, pick number two, one and ten. Spin the old wheel, as they say. 
I'll go number two. Okay. Now, I have this as number one, and it's a movie I'm sure you would be so excited about, Adam. It is uh, the 2021 version of Cinderella, starring Karina Cabello, the Havana lady, um, as Cinderella. It's a big jukebox musical. James Corden's in it. I'm sure you'll, you would love it so much, but you have the option to take the cannoli if you would like to, Adam. Would you like to take the cannoli on the big jukebox musical co-starring James Corden? Especially since we just covered one this episode. <laughs> bom, 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 bom. I'm taking the cannoli. Oh! He took the cannoli, left the gun, taken the cannoli. Off the table. Yes, that's very important. It is now off the table for you. I still have mine in my back pocket. Adam, it is gone from your back pocket. Do you feel like it was justified a use? Yeah, I have. Look, dude, nothing about that movie has anything of interest to me. Not a (laughs) single fucking thing. And the fact of the matter is, I could maybe try to watch it with my daughter. I guarantee you she'd lose interest in the first 20 minutes. And I'd be fucked. So I'm not. No. Nope. I'm good with ever. Nope. Nope. Well. Don't want to watch. That was my secret scheme this whole time, Adam. I knew you would not be enough a fan of that. So we could cover this other movie that I have not seen yet, but I have heard such fascinating things about. And I'm, I'm very curious. It is called Me, You, Madness. It is a low budget comedy thriller uh, that is notably from a director, writer, and star named Louise Linton, uh, who is best known as the wife of former Secretary Treasury Steve Mnuchin of the Trump administration. <laughs> oh, no. Never... This... Oh, dude, this was a... Oh, I was fucked either way. Yep, you were. But I'll tell you what, that one is infinitely more interesting to me than the other. Everything so. I've heard about that movie, yes. It's basically, what I've heard is like, it's American Psycho if somebody didn't get that that was a satire. Oh, Jesus. God. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> oh. oh, well. So, Me, You, Madness, and Werewolves Within. I think Me, You, Madness describes this podcast perfectly, though, Adam. That title. Yep. Just perfectly. 100%. Oh my god. And uh, well, on that note, Adam, uh, we finally need to end this episode, so let's uh, disappear onto the sail barge with a big uh, Thomas! has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.